0: Hello everyone and welcome to this very special episode of Finnerin's Wake. I am with undiminished zeal in the pursuit of great conversation, your faithful friend and host, Daniel Finnerin. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. If you find this content stimulating, um, enjoyable, entertaining, and educational, please do consider subscribing to my channel and sharing it with family and friends. I do think that you'll derive some benefit out of it. Uh, my guest today is the fearless, indomitable Barry Brown, uh, an author, horsebreaker, bull rider, and rodeo competitor to whom the nickname the bionic bull rider has been i think very fittingly applied Uh, barry to whom i was introduced in the unlikeliest of ways a chance encounter of my parents at a local bob evans Mm. diner um, has lived the kind of life out of which a riveting hollywood blockbuster film could be created born in the small town of Owasso, Michigan. Barry was one of 10 children through whom from the first to the last, uh, irrepressible spiritedness and lust for adventures seems to have flowed. With the encouragement of his older brother, Ronnie, Barry began riding bulls competitively at the age of 15. This sport to which Barry devoted much of his adult life and to which he sacrificed many of his limbs and bones Uh, was responsible not only for a lot of fun and good times in his life, but uh, no small number of injuries, fights, uh, and incredible stories about which we're going to talk today. So, Barry, thank you so very much for joining me today.
1: No, I'm glad to be here. and I just thank you for having me come and be on your show here. Of course.
0: It's an honor to have you here. The term on which I want to begin this conversation is one with which neither you nor our audience will be familiar. Uh, The term is tarokathapsia. And now it's a fancy (laughs) Greek word, which simply means bull leapers. In the ancient Minoan culture, uh, the oldest civilization of which we have any record there was a sport in which the young men engaged and it was bull leaping. If you visit Crete, a small island off the mainland of Greece, you can see these images of young acrobatic athletic men jumping onto the backs of bulls mm-hmm. from which they would then push and somersault and land on their feet.
1: Okay.
0: As I was preparing for this conversation and, and after reading your book, I was reminded of this ancient, almost immemorial sport. And I thought how in the Bronze Age, 3000 years before the birth of Christ, men were, uh, to a lesser extent women, but mainly men were, were engaging in this practice of playing or competing with and around bulls. And I think today, It's still ongoing. It's still a widely popular sport in which you participated for so much of your life. So, I want you, if you can, to maybe talk to us about this connection between man and bull. Why do we have this connection and and how do you explain this long enduring um, desire to, to compete with them?
1: It was just, I don't know, maybe it's something you're born with, but uh, now I was scared to death when my brother put me on that first bull, but I had no idea I was getting on one that night. But anyways, after I hit the ground about three seconds later, and on the way home, riding back home with my mother, I just thought about how that was the most fun I'd ever had, and That's what I was going to do the rest of my life as a
0: rodeo, be a rodeo cowboy. And what was so exhilarating about it? And and why do you think that that exhilaration persists through thousands Uh of years across time?
1: Oh, it's the competition plus the challenge with that bull. Because that animal is going to prove to you that you can't ride him. And so you're going to try to prove to it that it can't throw you off. You know, it's a competition and the, you uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
0: The challenge. The challenge, yeah. yeah. Challenge
1: and competition, yeah. maybe.
0: And it seems as though there's really no other animal that truly tests a man quite the same way that a bull does. Perhaps a horse. And, of course, horse riding is... Probably as antique a sport as is bull riding, um, but but the relationship between the bull and the men seems to be a very special one. Um, perhaps it's attributable to the the way in which we use bulls and uh, you know in agriculture and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, pulling plows and and um, you know and getting food from them and other yeah. things like that. Eating a good steak off them, yeah. Yeah, nah. you surely can. You make <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's it, it's something that does just, it grows on you, and I mean, it uh, almost instantly. Yeah. You either loved it or you didn't, and those that didn't need to go find something else to do. Sure. But they're never going to make it. Sure. You know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I had a ranch in Alabama, and I had my own herd of bulls. And by then, I wasn't riding, competing anymore, but I was bucking my own bulls, and guys would come try to ride, so I wanted, like every other stock contractor, to have my animals be able to throw everybody off. You didn't want them rode. And I'd become the same way. I loved, really got real close to my bulls, and they knew my voice, and they would listen, and they would. some of my bulls would load themselves into the chute, and I'd just tell them, go get in there. They'd work their way through the herd, a pen of bulls, and they'd work their way through and go walk right into the chute. Do and...
0: you do you think the bull, maybe the cow more generally, bull. Do, you, do you think the bull is one of those am- animals with whom it's easiest and most natural for man to draw a connection, to form a connection? We think of dogs, domesticated animals, well, like yeah. dogs and cats, but but do you think there's something... Really special between the, the 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 relationship between a man and a and a bull. It seems yeah, like you th- developed. There
1: it. is sure. I mean, just like people that have dogs, you know, mm-hmm. and how much they love their dogs. And then us rodeo people, and, and we have our own bulls. We love them the same. No, I didn't love them that much when I was riding them. When they were bucking, on him, and, yeah. you know. Yeah, they stole me off for running the horn in me, stepping on me, but. Uh, but yeah you get a uh, real closeness to them and everything yeah so and, and but horses are, horses are like dogs you know mm-hmm. they uh, become such close pets and all mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm just talking about saddle horses bucking horses not the same
0: but. yeah and and that's definitely a distinction on which i'd like you to expand because um part of your career was spent in uh, breaking horses and I'd like yeah. to know more about that. But before we, before we get into that part of your life, let's go back in time to uh, Owasso, Michigan, a, a small town, um, yeah. Northeast of, of, um, would it be Lansing? Lansing. Yeah. yeah. Lansing 30, 35 miles northeast or sure. it's uh, 20 miles straight west of Flint. Michigan. Sure. Sure. Flint. Uh, so, so that's the small town in which you were born. Um, to a family of 10 children man, or 10 what, head of, of kids, as you, as, of kid, yeah. as, you <laughs> as you say in your book, um, uh, you know, evoking an, the image of, of horses. Uh, what was it like to come up in a family with so many children? Of course, we mentioned your brother, Ronnie, uh, by whom you were deeply influenced but also mm-hmm. you had a an extraordinary sister Lauriane Lorraine Lorraine I'm Lorraine. sorry yeah who was also involved in some uh, interesting pursuits and I think later became a pilot mhm is that correct yeah. so uh, was there just an adventurous spirit permeating the the brown family uh, was this kind of shared amongst your siblings or were you and Ronnie the outliers uh, and Lurian the outliers? You
1: no, know, I had uh, four other brothers that all rode bulls and some of us rode bucking horses and bulls and Ronnie competed in four events all three riding events, barrack riding, saddle bronc riding, and bull riding and the steer wrestling. Mm-hmm. Back then it was called bulldogging. Bulldogging. Now it was called steer wrestling, yeah. And, uh, but it was all... All this came about due to Lorraine, sister Lorraine. She was the first born of the ten. I was seventh, but uh, and she was working for a trucking company in uh, Detroit. And she was, I guess, around twenty years old. And a Wild West show had come to town, and she heard about it, and she went out there and bought her a ticket and went in there to watch it. And she enjoyed the girls' trick riding event so much that. After the show was over, she walked out into the center field there and uh, started talking to some of them cowgirls there. And so they hooked her up in the ranch down in Indiana. Hmm. She quit her job and went to that ranch in Indiana, started learning to be a cowgirl and mending fences and breaking horses. And then uh, that spring, a Wild West show, Cherokee Hammonds out of Quitman, Georgia, came there and he was putting on. A Wild West show there in Indianapolis, and so Lorraine went to see it and all, and she ended up getting on a bucking horse, rode a saddle bronc, her first show, and uh, and then uh, then she learned how to trick ride, and uh, so it was like I tell in the book, if it hadn't been for my big sister becoming a cowgirl, oh. I'd probably ended up somewhere in automobile assembly line most of my life. Instead of becoming a pro rodeo cowboy and traveling the U.S. and Canada for
0: 11 months out of the year, mm-hmm. that's all I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and you speak about that early in the book about finding your passion and then pursuing it indefatigably, pursuing it no matter what the cost, yeah. whether it be the cost to your health or the cost to your, you know, your financial prosperity, because you know. Uh, it's not the most lucrative thing when you're not winning competitions to be traveling around the country.
1: (laughs) No, not at all. And you go broke in a hurry. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Back then you had no sponsors. Cowboys Mm. didn't. And so you paid for everything Mm -hmm. to get to that next rodeo. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't win anything, well, then you're out all that money you spent to uh, compete at that one. And hopefully you got enough money left
0: to get you to the next one. And you hope you win there. Of course. So... Lorraine was maybe your primary inspiration, uh, mm-hmm. but then Ronnie played a, a very influential role in your development as a, as a competitor. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to his uh, significance in your life? Yeah, oh yeah. And he died about a year and a half ago.
1: It'll well, be two years this August. And uh, But yeah, when uh, I had left with my mother, she was going to a Wild West show in Saginaw, Michigan, to watch Ronnie ride. And my Aunt Helen, her sister, was with her. And we pulled up to the gate to enter the infield. Ronnie told us to come into that infield, you know, and park where the contestants do. And the cop stopped us and wasn't going to let her go. She said, well, my son's competing riding in this rodeo. And I was 15 years old, never been on a head of stock before. <laughs> and that cop looked in the back seat at me and said, well, he must be good then, because you got to be good to ride here. And she said, yeah, he is, and, but she thought he was, she referred to Ronnie. But anyhow, so Ronnie put me on that first pool, and uh, and when I was 10, 12 years old, he would take me with him to rodeos. We'd go down to Cleveland, Ohio, and out of state,
0: and rodeos and stuff, and I'd just watch him ride. And he was how many years older than you? Uh, six. Uh-huh. So he would be about sixteen, seventeen. You were about ten or eleven. Via yeah, driving around yeah. The, the the Midwest.
1: Oh, yeah. We uh, went to Cleveland, Ohio, in the Civic Center yeah. rodeo there, yeah. and he went the bull riding. Sure. Real good uh, spinning brammer bull. mm mm-hmm. a good ride on him, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I was figure one day I would ride too because he did, you know. And he got brother Lyle started the year before. And But that night when he come up to me there at Saginaw, he we, just we, loading the bull, I said, Bert, you want to get on a bull? Well, like I say, I didn't have my mind set. I was getting on one that night, you know, so I kind of stuttered around the ah, Yeah, I didn't want him to think I was scared, which mm-hmm. I was petrified when he asked sure. me that. But I got on that bull, and he was just a little old bull, but at the time he looked bigger than an elephant, you know. and. Uh, Threw me off about three seconds out there and knocked all the air out of me. And, and uh, he's helping me up off the ground. You okay? You okay? I, uh, uh, yeah. I had no air, but anyhow, on the way home, my mother going oh she was so mad when she heard that announcer say, Now, folks, we got a new a young cowboy here, 15-year-old Barry Brown, going to get on his first boot. And, uh-huh. oh, she was scared and mad at ronnie and she went on and on about how i wasn't gonna rodeo Mm. and like i tell in the book i said really i wasn't hearing a word she was saying Mm. i was in hog heaven
0: thinking about how much fun it boy i had yeah and uh and, and you know i was hooked yeah and i imagine that was a a pivotal moment at which you could have either been completely put off by the sport because of that initial yeah. uh, small injury of having the wind knocked out mm-hmm. of you, uh, or you could have been so exhilarated by that experience that you would and commit your happened, entire yeah. life to it, and you chose the latter. You committed yeah. your entire life to it. Yeah, it was
1: fun to me regardless of
0: yeah. how much it hurt. It didn't matter, yeah. you know, and that's, like to say,
1: that's all I wanted to do was be a rodeo cowboy yeah. from then on. And and I got had a hard time with because the following weekend that outfit put in on uh, Saginaw, they put one on at the Ionia Free Fair in Ionia, Michigan. And Ronnie was gonna get me and my brother Lyle hooked up with him and we was gonna and they was leaving there going to Pennsylvania and then all over the northeastern states. Mm-hmm and uh, but he told me that i'd have to promise to come back and go to school come september you know and i said the heck with school i'm gonna rodeo
0: and i never did make it back to school so at the age of 15 you dropped out of school right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i have i can't but contrast your childhood and your young adulthood to uh, the young adulthoods uh, that our current generation are are experiencing uh, today it's It's typical to be overly protective of our of our children uh, almost to prolong their adolescence until they're probably my age yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, but you yeah I know but, what you're you, saying, I mean, but you came up in a very different age and you were very precocious you were very eager to get started early in life, and of course, under the influence of your brother Ronnie, that certainly was accelerated because he was the example they' were kind of leading you on at a young age yeah. um, can you? comment on that a little bit? Like today, we seem to have gone well, too far in the direction of coddling and of comforting and of protecting and, en- and ensuring that our children, our young you yeah. know, adolescents, well, are, are know, never exposed to any danger. But you sought out danger uh, immediately, uh, almost the moment yeah, you walked. Yeah, but walk.
1: wasn't danger to me.
0: You know, well, <laughs> my mind, you know, I to your mother, never it was considered dangerous. it being
1: dangerous, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you do know, it's like Ronnie had told me, he said, now look, in order to rodeo, you got to be tough and that just means that you got to be able to take pain if you can't take pain you'll never make it mm-hmm. and he was right now see many a guy you know uh, thinking they're wanting to be rodeo cowboys and they get
0: their knees banged up a little and they swallow up and all and yeah. go home you never see them again but there's something far more to it than the physical toughness that you display i mean there's the mental toughness and you seem to have uh, displayed that at a very young age. So yeah. how do you account for that mental toughness? The love, the
1: love of the sport
0: is what it all was. That's the only reason
1: because right. I loved it so much I couldn't quit it. It didn't matter what happened or how hungry I got. It, it didn't matter. I wasn't about to quit and go back to Michigan and have to get a job and go to work. And sure. Kind of like I was uh, interviewed once by uh, the Miami Herald paper. Mm. And at the end of that interview, that reporter says, well, Barry, with all the injuries you've had, why do you still rodeo? And I said, well, working 8 to 16 seconds a week ain't too bad. <laughs> you know, so.
0: 8 to 16 seconds, yeah, at, at best, and, and of course a lot of travel in between. Well, um, yeah, that wasn't and told and in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, so even now, you you wouldn't exchange a, a life of perhaps more comfort, fewer injuries, and a more... Uh, reliable income for uh, all those experiences that you had. Uh, uh, in no, the
1: rodeo. no, and it's making income. These bull riders today and all you know, the cowboys—they, they're becoming millionaires. Mm-hmm. They're rodeos—they're mm-hmm. they're winning so much money, you mm-hmm. know. And we don't get paid nothing to ride them. We have to pay an entry fee to right, you know, and our travel expenses right. and all Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But and today, that... a lot of them have sponsors that are sure, and that's paying uh, all that's all one that
0: of stuff. the many aspects by which I was shocked when I was reading your book. Uh, one of the many things is um, uh, the, the the contrast between the way in which the sport operates today and the way it did back when you were in your prime, and we'll talk about that. But I want to focus still a little bit more on your your young adulthood and how you were coming up. I mean, there are some harrowing passages in this book about your hitchhiking uh, across mm-hmm. much of America, if not all of America. Probably Sometimes. between the ages of fifteen and and twenty, without a mm-hmm. hardly a dollar to your name, I remember a passage in which you only had a few uh, pennies, twenty, 20 I cents, think. and you were yeah. trying to go to Pennsylvania. I think it was Pittsburgh. No, I was,
1: left Baltimore, uh-huh. Maryland, going back to home in Michigan. Going yeah.
0: back to Michigan, yeah. So that outfit I'd been
1: riding for, they didn't pay. Yeah. So pay, and uh, so
0: was, what was it like to? hitchhike your way across the country in that age, of course, it's an unthinkable activity enterprise now. You don't see anyone hitchhiking, although I'm sure back yeah. then it wasn't completely common. But you were doing this at a very young yeah. age, alone, uh, completely fearlessly. So tell us a little bit about that experience.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you do what you got to do you know, and I was trying to get home. I was young and I was starving and hadn't eaten anything much in two weeks. And uh and
0: that, you know, so
1: you just do what you gotta do, you know.
0: At the time, did you embrace the adventure? Did you recognize it as being an adventurous uh, thing, you know, on which you were embarking or or were you more concerned with your immediate well-being? It sounds like you almost had this grander scope of your life, kind of like a Huckleberry Finn type character, You're, you know, where where you understood that you were yourself in a in a story. Yeah.
1: No, I just wanted to get home. That's yeah.
0: all that was on my mind, you yeah. know, to get home and uh, get something to eat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it but, makes uh, for a wonderful tale, uh, retrospectively, looking back at it. So, yeah. But you seem to fit in just about everywhere you went and you kind of got along from what I could tell mostly pretty well with everyone. So what was your perspective? Like you were on the ground, traveling from the north to the south, from the east to the west, experiencing all these cultures, all these, uh, you know, all these changes. What did you take from that experience?
1: Well, just, uh, we're all humans, you know, and the color of your skin don't change anything really. And, uh, But there was, you know, I admit that I was a little scared. I was 16 years old and the first time ever riding a vehicle with black men, you know, and there was two of them in a single cab truck and we had that load of steers out of South Georgia taken up there to Sykesville, Maryland, the ranch up there. And uh, and I had to ride in between those two black men, you know, and so that, uh, but they were cowboys, so, that helped a lot too. Yeah.
0: You know, nothing to be worried about or anything. And you have that, that... They're just
1: good people, like anyone of else. Of
0: course, of course. And you, and you share that connection with the with the livestock, with the horses, and with the with the bulls, no matter the the color of your skin. And I also think, you know, if a black man gets on the back of a of a bull, or if a white man gets on the back of the bull, that bull's going to buck either way. He don't care. <laughs> he, he
1: don't care what color you are. He just wants to
0: throw you off, yeah. get you off his back. Yeah. You know. So. What was the most uh, striking thing that you experienced as you were traversing the country? Do you remember anything specifically maybe uh, arriving in California and seeing something or arriving in Connecticut and, and seeing something? Was there anything that really stuck with you culturally? Oh, probably, it, it, you know, the
1: hills and mountain
0: areas in
1: California
0: at that time
1: was pretty state and mm-hmm. wasn't any homeless laying around and that kind of stuff. But, mm. And it, it was nice and just to Nice rodeo atmosphere, really, you know. They have a lot of rodeos out there and uh, with mountains in the background and all that. So you were
0: 15 years of age when you first got up onto the bull, had that experience, and of course, thereafter, you were hooked. Hooked, <laughs> You then began traversing the entire country, <laughs> north to south, east to west, uh, experiencing all these different cultures. Uh, tell us, as a young man, what were some of your fondest memories of living that life out on the road?
1: Well, well, I don't know. uh, The fondest memories I have when I was 15 and like my first year, when I first started and I just working in wild west shows and they were all held at county fairs. So we're at them fairgrounds. And when you throw your bedroll out there, and you usually got a campfire going when the nights were real cool, and uh, and you'd sleep there on that ground all night, and you could still hear the fair, the sounds from the Ferris wheel and everything, and people, and girls are screaming and going on, you know, but you got to get to bed, because you got to get up like five in the morning, start feeding livestock, or sitting up the arena, and that, and, uh, But that was really a fun time, and uh, just think back about it a lot, you know, sleeping on the ground there at the
0: state fair. Sleeping out in the open, uh, beneath the stars, Uh, in nature, extraordinary, after a a vigorous day of riding and and, uh, working and and doing all these things at the fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, But alternatively, you also had many sleepless, rambunctious nights (laughs) <laughs> and and um, um and restful days, let's say, maybe later in your in your career and in your travels, and you talk about this in the book you, you certainly lived the uh, you you might call it the um the cinematic cowboy life going from town to town and kind of raising a little hell and and fleeing. can you maybe talk about that a little bit?
1: Well, I've done too much of that. <laughs> I'm raising cane, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, rodeo, and uh, you got a lot of free time, especially, you know, like most rodeo performances would be at night. And so, and after the rodeo, then you're going to either go to the bar and shoot some pool or dance and drink
0: half the night away, and then mm-hmm. you sleep half the day get ready for the next rodeo yeah so there is an enticement to vice in the sport
1: <laughs> oh yeah 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 and uh just like someone had posted the other day on facebook about the buckle bunnies and uh, they always plenty of them around it's kind of the same way with any sport you got women that'll follow that sport. Uh, I see. What are they called? The uh, well, in rodeo they call buckle bunnies. Buckle bunnies. Yeah, because they <laughs> like the cowboys that have the big championship buckles. I see. I,
0: they see. I see. They got money. They
1: got money. I see.
0: Can, the championship riders have the money, and therefore yeah, attract the, the women. The, the buckle women, bunnies. Buckle. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, were you a buckle bunny?
1: No, oh, I'm well, sorry. I'm sorry. Were you the
0: buckle? A, were you the buckle that attracted the bunnies? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it depends on the maybe on the town, the area. Yeah. 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 You know. yeah. Well, let the, she this this woman to whom I'm going to make a, a reference was not a buckle bunny, I don't think, but your wife, whose name is Margaret. Oh, yeah,
1: my first wife. Your yeah.
0: first wife. Uh, something interesting I found in in her history and your history was that she was training to be a lawyer uh, at the time that you met, and you talk about this in the book. Yeah.
1: Well, she was actually she was a barrel racer. She was a cowgirl before she went to law school to become I a lawyer. See. She was. I see. She was rodeo, and that's where I met her. I see. Rodeo, and her parents rodeoed, and her brothers. And
0: I see.
1: Native out of Alabama. So yeah.
0: very much in, involved in that sport she in would, that world. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, you were, like you said, raising in and I uh, and having a, g- a good time in, in all these different places. I, I found that contrast a little bit funny a little bit interesting certainly while she's moving toward the pursuit of of the law you're sort of uh, fleeing the law in a lot of in a lot of well that was before she came along Mm -hmm. you know uh, yeah Mm -hmm. and you had your first daughter together well yeah whose name was uh, Sandy. sandy sandy k sandy
1: She was named after two rodeo friends of mine
0: out of New Jersey. They Uh, were from uh, uh Sandy and Kay Kirby. And the first year of her life was basically spent on the road. Tell us a little bit about how you managed to to care for your child while, again, traversing the entire country. You say she's probably one of only a few children who have kind of, what did you say, visited Twenty-odd states before the age 25 of— Twenty-five states and the four age months of, yeah, old by the yeah. time she was before she was child. four. I mean, imagine. Oh. So what was that like to have a young child with you while you were pursuing Well, by the time she was
1: able to walk, we was on our way from a rodeo in South Dakota back to my mother's in Michigan, and we stopped somewhere there, I think, in southwest Michigan to fuel up. And I had a big camper on the truck and pulling a horse trailer. Margaret was running barrels. And so I get Sandy out of that truck, just a single cab pickup. And I let her get out, stretch her legs, you know, but I had her stand right there close by me while I was pumping the gas. It was night and all that stuff. and. Uh, so, uh, once I got it fueled up, I said, all right, Sandy, we've got to go get the truck. Bah! she went to bawling and squalling and she uh, no way wanted to get back in that truck. She was road founder, you know, but uh but
0: got her in there and went on, yeah, yeah, and um at some point in her childhood did you did you settle down or did that kind of itinerant lifestyle persist a little while longer well
1: the Traveling part, she got to staying home more once her mother began law school uh-huh. and that.
0: And, and that was uh, in Alabama? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so she wasn't in the vehicle like that day and night, day yeah. night. and night. Like one time up there in the in the Dakota that one summer, it was like 110 degrees uh, for two weeks. And I had no air conditioning in that truck. Goodness. But it was still warm, uh, cooler to keep the windows rolled up when it was hot like that. Cause when you had them down, it was like an oven just blowing in on your hot air. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really tough, you know. And that Uh kid having to sit there in the center between the two of us Uh all the hundreds and hundreds of miles burning up. (laughs) Was
0: there any point during that time when you thought uh, maybe a more traditional life uh, in a stable location might be better? Were there any moments then or were you still absolutely fixated on that on that passion of yours and the sport mm. in which you were engaged yeah.
1: you no know, I tell you when uh Margaret began law school up in Birmingham and we rented a place there with a few acres we could have our horses with us but uh you know I stayed I got a job and I worked and you uh, down the weekends more in the southeast mm-hmm. area you know and uh It'd be once in a while I'd take and make a, when there's some good rodeos coming up, like in Missouri and Kansas and all, and I'd run work them and come right back home. Yeah. they be gone yeah. about a week. So the,
0: so the amount of traveling slowed down a, a little bit, diminished a little bit, you know, as you, mm-hmm. uh, as, as your wife began law school and as your, as your young daughter was, was growing up a bit. Uh, was it around this time that you began breaking horses?
1: No, no, no. I started breaking them years before then. I was 16
0: and down here
1: and around the Gainesville, Florida area. So those of
0: us who are, um, you know, unacquainted with that process, can you describe it? What exactly does it entail to, to break a horse? Get on them and don't let them throw you off. <laughs> you know,
1: ride them to the quit bucking. So, how we so, used to. They have different techniques today that yeah. they're using. Because, of course, I've mean, I, I, I done it the old cowboy way. You just saddle them up, sack them out first. You snub them up to a post, uh-huh. sack them out, sack them out,
0: so, so and then you, you throw f- your saddle Explain items. some of these terms. So you, you put them to a post and then you said you sack, sack sacked them out. Yeah, that's where you take like the horse blanket and you'll bump it the
1: blanket Uh uh, against them on their shoulder Uh and neck and and they'll quiver and shake and maybe snow and kick. Does that
0: frighten them? Some,
1: that does, Uh yeah. Cause Uh they're scared of that blanket. They've never had one on Mm -hmm. before. They've never been touched by one. Mm -hmm. And so, and you'll get, where you just put it on them and rub it on them and everything and hold it up to their nose and let them smell it and rub it on their head and and then eventually they get used to it and they'll just stand there Quick
0: quivering, shaking, and yeah. all. And they once
1: they learn it's not going to hurt
0: them, see, they think something's going to hurt them. So it's a balance of tenderness and also firmness.
1: Yeah, in this and you just got to know how firm to be and how firm not to
0: be yeah. with them. And, and uh, every horse, I assume, is a little bit different so, oh in yeah. its reception yeah, of Yeah, Just
1: like humans, we all got different attitudes. You of know, course, and, of
0: uh, course. Again, uh, to. To reflect back on the the idea with which we began this conversation and i occasionally want to want to draw that thread is that this is an you know an ancient relationship that we have with bulls and with horses you know, alexander the great famously was able to break his horse when nobody else could and what he did is he noticed that it was afraid of its own shadow Mm-hmm. So he took a horse that was, I guess you would say, unbreakable. Maybe there's a different term in the in the world of, of no. equestrians, but Shining. it was unbreakable. And he was clever enough and precocious enough and brave enough to to understand that this horse was fearful of its own shadow. So what he did is, he simply turned it, you know, in yeah. the direction of the sun. It saw its own shadow, and then he was able to mount it and to control it right. in a yeah. certain way. And again, we're talking about. A story, perhaps legendary, but thousands and thousands of, of years old. And still to this day, I mean, we're using similar, the similar techniques. Yeah. Uh, you know, Exploiting the horse's fears in some way. Uh, of course, in a thoughtful way and a caring way. And, and then subduing the horse enough to be able to cultivate it yeah. in a certain way.
1: Well, it, it helped to have horse sense. Mm. You get that. You get horse sense by... Being around them, or working with them, riding them, you know, and uh, using them, or whatever you mm. you gotta do, or mm. just even talking them, patting sure. them, and stuff. Sure. And,
0: uh, Did you enjoy the sort of the tenderness that is associated with um, cultivating the horses and breaking the horses, um, as opposed to the you know the excitement and the adrenaline rush that is involved with bull riding? It sounds like good. a a good balance to have both in one's life so it was probably oh yeah yeah uh, but but you know what moments did you find um maybe more intimate was it when you were working with the horses or, or when you were riding and working with the bulls well
1: that's a tough one because you love both of them mm-hmm. you know and uh some
0: some people that's all they
1: do is break and train horses mm-hmm. and they don't rodeo mm mm-hmm. And those of us that have done both, we have a passion for both. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and like I say, that having horse sense really helps. And you get that by living with them, being with them, and having a cowboy attitude. Yeah,
0: A cowboy attitude. And living the cowboy life. Describe, describe to me that cowboy attitude, because I'd like to adopt parts of that cowboy attitude. I feel like I'm Well, you,
1: you get that from living the cowboy way,
0: uh-huh. the cowboy life. Do you think that that's we, one reason I love rodeoing
1: so much? Is the life I was the cowboy way of life and do you, living? Do you think, really do you think it.
0: Americans are lacking that cowboy attitude a little bit? Do you think that we need to oh, sort yeah. of cultivate that 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 uh, perspective? When, yeah, they need more. There ain't huh. enough cowboy attitude in this country yeah. now. Or, so you don't necessarily or, or, have to. be... Oh, we'd have
1: done stop a lot of this crap going yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody
0: will. Yeah. So what are some steps that we can take to to bring out this cowboy attitude? How do we kind of get that swagger?
1: Go to rodeo and start riding bucking horses and bulls and throwing <laughs> steers and, <no>. Throwing <laughs>
0: steers.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't know if I can just tell
0: you that. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about You the, just get
1: it, you just, it comes naturally mm-hmm, when you're mm-hmm. living the cowboy I, I life. I think there's
0: something very Fundamental to the American spirit, that Western gazing spirit, uh, whether it's in the the old films of John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. uh, Shane and High Noon, and The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, oh, and these yeah, okay. these searchers, like these great films, or it's in our ever um, uh, curious and ambitious perspective, and we want to go west, and we want to you know settle the wilderness. I think that. Fundamental to the American spirit is that cowboy attitude. Well, saying
1: people that do that, what you're just describing, they become yeah. that. You know, the cowboy way or cowboy yeah, spirit. Yeah, But I, I feel as they, they gain that from I doing th- that. What I they're th- thinking and wanting to do. And I where think they, they go do.
0: It. I, but it's I f- it feels like it's repressed right now. It feels like that cowboy spirit kind of mm. still wants to emerge and make itself known, and will itself into existence, but. There are a lot of countervailing forces with social media and, you know, a fear of going outside and um, so many other forces that are kind of repressing that, so I don't know. Well, you can't
1: be fearful of, I don't know, you just, to me, you can't be scared of anything. mm -hmm. There's nothing that
0: scares me. Yeah, well, after uh, riding bulls at 15, you certainly can't uh, have a low threshold for fear.
1: But like you talk about fearful to go outside, man. If
0: you're a slave mm-hmm.
1: to whoever is causing this fear to you, you're a slave to them, mm-hmm. and you got know, just get out and do it and get tough. Mm-hmm. Get you tough. either get tough or die.
0: You get tough or die. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I mean, I, I'm reminded of even the pandemic. And the way in which a lot of people responded to that. Now, of course, you have suffered a great deal of injuries. You've had multiple broken bones. You've endured treatment for cancer. You've had wire placed in your sternum. uh, All these sorts of different injuries. So one could forgive you if you maybe lose that cowboy edge and become a little bit more concerned with your longevity or your health. But you seem to have... Held on to that cowboy well, it's, edge.
1: it's ingrained in me. Yeah. I've lived it for so many years, and I don't think you'll ever and I don't want to change. You know, I yeah. wouldn't change. I mean, look where I'm. I'm in the city of Naples, Florida, and I'm the only person dressed mm-hmm. like I am. You know, and everywhere I go, this is how I dress. Right. And I get up in the morning, this is and how it I shall dress. be for, from now and on the way change I dress because a lot of guys, now there's a lot of guys that are cowboys and all that they will dress the area they're in you know mm. they'd be wearing short pants out here mm-hmm. you know but i don't know which, uh...
0: so you're uncowed you're unabashed you'll you'll continue just as you are and i find that so inspiring and so uplifting yeah. and we talked a little bit off camera about where i could purchase a an authentic cowboy hat so i plan in the future not as not as authentic a way as you but i plan to uh yeah. adopt the cowboy the cowboy dress i don't know if i can adopt the full attitude Maybe a part of the attitude, but certainly the outfit. I think I could pull that off.
1: Well, you know, it's all according to what you put in
0: your head. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. mind a powerful thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that's the, yeah. that's the one aspect of your story by which I'm most impressed. It's this mental toughness. You're such yep. an interesting person, a very respectful person and, and soft-spoken, but you've led this extraordinary life that has so much to say for itself. Uh, we mentioned just briefly some of the injuries you sustained maybe mm. let's it would be remiss of us if we if we completely bypass them yeah. of course the title of your book let's hold it up once okay, more yeah. uh, is the bionic bull rider now the, the, that bionic nickname was applied to you by the orlando sentinel i think a newspaper outlet yeah here in florida and for good reason i mean you've suffered a, a multitude of injuries um you know from which yeah. you say some today you life-threatening you, yeah absolutely from which you still suffer in some ways So tell us, what was the most, uh, the most, um... Severe? Maybe the severest injury. Let's begin with that one. The severest injury that you sustained. Well, that that would be the
1: chest injury, Mm -hmm. breaking that sternum. Mm -hmm. But, uh, in fact, this picture here, taken Deadwood, South Dakota, Mm -hmm. August, 1971. And I'd been out of competition for eight months due to surgery on my chest that made medical history when they attempted to repair my breastbone, bone mm-hmm. and doctors told me there was nothing well they said there was nothing there to protect my heart if i got hit hard in the chest it stop my heart
0: but and this is an injury with which you were living for a while
1: well yeah i rode for two and a half years and my chest split in half with the chest I kept
0: s- split in half and you continued and you considered continuing on in that way, because the surgery wasn't exactly, yeah. yeah, it wasn't exactly a guaranteed success. Right,
1: yeah, that's what made medical history, because it had never been done before, and the doctor did it. it, was at a VA hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, and there were three doctors came over from the university hospital, and worked with him on my chest, and like, he told me, explained to me what he was going to do, to try to fix the chest, and then then he said, but you may never ride again, because it may not work. They didn't know, because it was the first time it's ever been done, and the people usually die from that injury I had, but I helped survive it. Well, and when he said I may never ride again, that scared me worse than anything, because I had no intentions to stop riding if it didn't work. I'd already been riding for over two years with it split in half, and so if the surgery didn't work, I wasn't about to quit. Mm And so then I asked, I said, well, Doc, if it don't work, will I still have use of my arms, you know, because I'm thinking this, one arm down and one up and riding. And he said, oh, yeah, they ain't going to affect your arms at all. I said, oh, okay, well, let's go for it then. And one thing, and I tell this book is an informative book, it covers almost everything in life. People thank me for writing
0: it. I think at this point it would be worthwhile to um, recount an experience that you had uh, when you had the flu, just to to explain exactly how tough you are, uh, there's a passage in your book you describe having the flu and not having access to proper human antibiotics. So what you and your friends did is used, was it teramycin?
1: Oh yeah, oh that one, yeah.
0: (laughs) Antibiotic and of course you had no access to proper needles
1: yeah no why that antibiotics there well the animal
0: and that was for cattle it was for cattle but you yeah. also didn't have a syringe no needle yeah no needles so what you and your gang did you found a, a syringe that had been used multiple times on on different horses
1: you had a friend's ranch
0: boiled down, it, down there in louisiana boiled it in water to sterilize it yeah <laughs> that'll do it <laughs> and then you injected or they injected bad. you in the in the buttocks in or in the hip, hip yeah. in order to to heal you of the of the flu Pretty, yeah and you were better you said in the in the next few days whereas yeah, i couldn't I mean you <laughs> sit down i didn't think
1: i was going to be able to get on my bull because my my butt hurt so yeah. bad so sore because when uh it was perry hatfield who gave me the shot uh-huh and when he first drove that needle in there, and he pulled his hand right back, I said, "You threw?" He said, "No, it didn't go in. I think he hit the bone. That's why it's so sore."
0: All right. So that was an extraordinary story. Uh, the, your use of this, this the horse syringe that was, I think, five times used on different horses. It was, it was mm-hmm. sterilized for human use and course through that you received your your dose of teramycin and you know in a couple days later you were you were healed i'm sure that's um, a medical intervention <laughs> got rid of the infection it, it yeah. certainly did it on which you look back somewhat um regrettably you probably wouldn't in at this point in your life repeat something like that again <laughs> i hope not um tell me though are there any other Things that you did when you were a little bit younger, kind of in the, the prime of your rodeo career, uh, upon which you look back regretfully.
1: Oh yeah, the uh, mainly the drinking. I drank way too much, and uh, and I have no doubt in my mind at all. Had I not drank like I did, I could I would have been a world champion. But that drinking, you're having fun at the time, and maybe you might jump up and ride a rank one the next day, mm. and then I might buck off for the next two or three in a row, and be wondering what in the world happened. But the day that I did quit drinking, I was more consistent than I ever was, and you know I rode like 87% of the bulls that year, bucked off very seldom, and won more money than I ever did in my life. Mm-hmm and uh, but then i was getting kind of towards the end of my career and not going hard and heavy a couple of years after that but uh but anyhow that's uh that's the worst thing is the drinking yeah
0: so it was deleterious uh, it certainly hampered your uh, your ability to ride and your success as you say um, but as you mentioned earlier, it was sort of part of the culture, right? traveling around and being a cowboy, uh, one of the vices in which a lot of people in that world engage, um, but perhaps from which you should have uh, maybe abstained. Now, was there one event that caused you to quit drinking, or was it just the the recognition that it was indeed affecting your, yeah. your performance?
1: No, I was arrested in Fort Worth, Texas, got there a couple of days before the big Fort Worth Texas Livestock Show and Rodeo, and uh, anyhow, ended up in jail, and come the next morning, I just got to think that I'm tired of going to jail. Mm-hmm. And I knew what my problem was, they're drinking, and so I decided I'm not drinking, I'm quitting, and I did.
0: Yeah.
1: And like I say, my riding just got so much better and more consistent, and winning and everything. Even bought my first brand new vehicle that year, that was in 1973 and all because of the money I was winning, because I wasn't drinking, so, yeah, drinking doesn't help anything, really. Makes you think you're having fun at the time, but...
0: Yeah, it certainly does, and that's a topic on which, about which you're very honest in your book, The Bionic Bull Rider, and and it's a lesson that I derived from it, Uh, you know, yes, you can find yourself in some uh, tight situations, and in and out of different prisons and jails, and, um, you know, perhaps on the wrong side of the law occasionally, Um, but you know there's always redemption and you certainly found that now yeah and before we conclude and you've been very generous with your time and i know that the conditions are a little bit warm here uh, where we are in florida um, i want you to to leave us our audience with perhaps a, a lesson straight from the mouth of a of a real tried and true cowboy as i mentioned earlier in america we seem to have lost that 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 desire for liberty, that, that um, pursuit of freedom, that cowboy spirit, I think, with which we're all born, but we somehow lose along the way. So what is your message to an America that has in some ways lost its cowboy spirit?
1: Well, the thing that helped me, especially when I did quit drinking, is to uh, get my Bible out and get back reading the word of God and living your life according to his will and not your own. And everything will just get better.
0: And I don't know what else to say. So return to some of the ancient biblical wisdom. We began this episode talking about um, some of the cultural um, um, impacts of ancient civilizations, the Minoan civilization specifically. And now we end it talking about another ancient tradition, which is the Judeo-Christian tradition um, from which we can still derive so much wisdom and, and so many great lessons uh, by which your life has been benefited. My life has been benefited. Yeah. And I think that of all of our listeners will be as well.
1: Well, you know, uh, like uh, about towards the end of that book where I uh, quote the Bible verse about you reap what you sow. Yes. And that's why I sold so many injuries and things, because of the way I was living my life. Sure, sure. And uh, yeah, uh, God makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, He has in your life, and that much is obvious. uh, From this wonderful book that I advise everybody to go on Amazon and check out and purchase a copy of, it's The Bionic Bull Rider, My Life Story, by the indomitable uh, Barry Brown. So Barry, I want to thank you again for writing this fantastic work for living a an extraordinary life again out of which i think a hollywood film will soon be made and for sharing your your story mm. with everybody no it, thank you dan i appreciate you it was an absolute was pleasure me talk. Of, of course yeah. and to everyone out there we encourage you to subscribe to this channel to share it and to visit amazon and purchase yourself a copy of the bionic bull rider by the fearless barry brown farewell